0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for all those joining us at home. I'm going to throw you a curveball this morning. Happy New Year. And it is Happy New Year. You may not realize this, but the Christian calendar actually begins with the season of Advent. So even though our chronological calendar begins on January 1st, the church for centuries has worshiped and followed a calendar that actually begins in Advent, which is a season of waiting. I think it's appropriate because we've gotten used to doing a lot of that this year, haven't we? Waiting. But it isn't just waiting. it, It is a season of hopeful waiting. It is a season of longing It's a season of anticipation that something more is coming, something better is about to arrive. And it is in that season that we begin our brand new series, our Advent series, entitled Still Christmas. Now I wanna use that title in kind of two different ways, that word still in two different ways. I mean, of course it is still Christmas, right? Because no matter what's happening inside of us, no matter what's going on all around us, it doesn't change the fact that this season is still upon us and it's still worthy of our consideration. In fact, perhaps more than ever, we need to reclaim the beauty and the wonder of the season of Christmas. Which is why I want to use this word in a second way. Because I think that what God is doing in this season is God is actually inviting each of us to himself to become still in a season that often is not marked by stillness and by silence. In case you have not noticed, all is not calm this Christmas. I mean, it's as though we are living through 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic, 1929, the Great Depression, and 1968, the civil rights unrest, all simultaneously wrapped into one year, 2020. We're, we're experiencing it all. And so all is not calm this Christmas. And yet I'm sensing that the Lord has been doing this and is wanting to reaffirm his invitation to us, that here at this Christmas season, in this Advent season, that we take our waiting and we begin to convert it into hopefulness. We take our longings and we begin to, in God's presence, transform them into expectation and anticipation of what's coming. That there was a child born over 2,000 years ago, that wants to be reborn in the hearts of every single one of us this Advent season. And so, in this series, Still Christmas, we're gonna focus on that idea and that invitation of God, and he gives it to us throughout Scripture, and it's an invitation to be still. I'm gonna use one of my favorite verses, as an anchor verse for our series, that we're gonna, we're gonna return back to throughout the series. But let me say this on the front end. I believe this verse is the remedy to when all is not well inside of us. When all is not well, I think God wants us to return here. Psalm chapter 46, verse number 10. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now I'm gonna lead us at the end of our service today, I'm gonna lead us through a stillness exercise built and based around this particular verse. But for for this beginning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take just one minute and I'd like to begin to practice some stillness and silence in the presence of God together. So what I'd like you to do is position yourself in a place, and those joining us at home can do this as well, where you are... Present to God, where you are ready to receive from God. I want you to open your hearts. I want you to to open your minds. I want you to open your soul, the truest part of who you are. I want you to, if you're comfortable, open your hands, maybe on your lap, as a way of receptivity of saying, God, I'm inviting you and I'm welcoming you to me here in this Advent season. I'm going to take care of watching our time, but we're going to take just one minute of silence and stillness beginning now. So I have people say to me, man, it feels like an eternity one minute. (laughs) And yet have you ever stopped to consider that the first nine months of your life were actually formed in relative silence and stillness? What I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to think. I'd like you to think of a picture, an image, a word that comes to your mind when you hear the word still. When you heard that word, still Christmas, what, what, what's the image that you think of? So where my mind goes is my mind goes to the pond behind our home in our green space. And what I've particularly noticed about our pond is that whenever there are ripples on the pond, you really can't make out a reflection of anything around it. It is only when that pond becomes still and quiet, the ripples begin to disappear, that all of a sudden, everything around it, the sky and the brilliance of the sky, all the trees on the bank near it, all of a sudden, it begins to become as though it were real because you're seeing it almost real inside of that pond water. It is bearing a reflection that brings reality to what's around it. I think you and I are created by God to reflect God. We were created from the very beginning in the image of God to be a reflection of God to those around us. And here's what I've discovered is as long as there's churning inside of me, as long as the waters are not still inside of me, as long as there's ripples that are affecting me, I am not able to accurately reflect God to others. It is only when I allow God to become present with me and only when I become still enough to be aware of his presence with me that all of a sudden my life can reflect in a more robust, full, accurate way the image and the person of God to those around me. And what God really wants all of us to do is learn how to be still, especially at times like this and seasons like this that we're in, years like we've been living in here in 2020 that we can learn how to experience stillness in the midst of all the chaos. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you three words right here at the beginning, and they are practices that I have learned that have helped me to practice silence and stillness, uh, especially when all is not calm inside of me. There are three words that are very easy for you to remember. Great alliteration, not planned that way, they just happened to be that way. And here are the three words. Pause, ponder, pray. When all is not calm, those three practices help us to find stillness, to be still and know that he is God. To pause, to stop what we're doing to slow down long enough to pay attention to what's going on inside of us and where God is coming to us, how God might be inviting us. Now listen, I have learned that resistance and chaos and things around me are often God's invitation to me. It's an invitation for me to find him and even to find my true self in the middle of what's going on. So whenever we're feeling a sense of wanting to resist or push back, Pay attention, because it could be that God is inviting you personally to go to a place that you can't go without his grace. Pause, and then ponder. Ponder the fact that God is in control. Ponder the fact that God has every hair on your head numbered. He knows everything about you and about me. There's nothing that escapes God's notice. And so when all is not calm, it's powerful just to, ponder who God is and how how God is so intimately acquainted with everything about us and then pray pray actually I have learned that whenever I am feeling emotionally fragile the power of prayer gets me in touch with a power that I do not have in myself it only comes from God And I've learned to pray the prayer of indifference and pray for wisdom and pray for quiet trust right in the midst of whatever it is I'm going through. So I want those three words throughout this series to help frame for you and give you a pathway and a practice to find stillness in the middle of life when all is not calm. Now, you may not be aware of this, but the very first Advent, the very first Christmas all was anything but calm. When I mean, we often think about Christmas time as a silent night, all is bright, all is calm, but the reality is that was not the cultural realities when Jesus Christ came to this earth. I want you just to consider some of the realities that were going on before we look at the first narrative that we want to talk about in our series here, Still Christmas. The first thing in reality is that the Middle East was in a constant state of turmoil. Boundary lines were being challenged. There was a general sense of anxiety throughout the region in the Middle East. Society was actually marked with racial and economic inequity. In fact, those inequities were becoming wider. The disparity was becoming wider and it was becoming more pronounced in the first century. Divorce and debt was out of control in the first century. If you look culturally at what was going on, every family was affected by rising costs of debt, making it harder for a a wage earner to make a living for their family, which created incredible stress. On the family. Mary and Joseph were no exception. The legal system was unjust. The legal system was corrupt. Innocent people were being found guilty of things they had not done, and criminals were being let go on technicalities. Think Barabbas. Politicians were corrupt. There was such an abuse of power that citizens had lost all of their respect, honor, and trust in any government official. And worse yet, the religious institutions were actually getting more and more enmeshed in politics. Instead of caring for people, instead of meeting the needs of people, religious leaders and institutions were actually colluding with politicians for their own benefit. Think the crucifixion of Jesus. It happened because of collusion between a religious organization, a religious institution, and the Roman government. And if all of those things were not enough, big government was spending far too much, which was driving up taxation on the people. This was likely the reason that the census was actually ordered by Caesar Augustus. It was so that they could tax the people and get what they thought was due them. Now, does any of that sound even vaguely familiar to us? Does any of that even sound like it resonates with where we are in 2020? I would suggest all was not calm in the first century. And all is not calm this Advent season but make no mistake about it. God still wants us to be still and to know that he has not changed who he is. He is no less concerned. He is no less involved. He is no less in charge of everything that's going on in our world today and intimately acquainted with it. And we need that assurance this Christmas. Now, speaking of the taxation, let's read from Luke's gospel and let's take a look at the story that we actually are introduced to uh, in the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter two, verses one through five. Again, keep in mind there was a reason for what was going on here. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And by the way, that was the known world the Romans were in charge of it all. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, as we read this narrative, we sense that all is not calm in the Roman world. But what we don't understand is everything that already had been taking place between Mary and Joseph, all was not calm there either. In Matthew's gospel, chapter one, verse number 18, the first part of it, We read this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, in those days to be pledged to be married was a lot more and a lot bigger than engagements are today. It was truly a family affair. The entire family was involved in the selection of the bride for the groom. And in this case, if you look back at the first century, these betrothers or engagements could last up to 12 months. And there was no way to actually break that agreement without it affecting lots and lots of people. It's not like today where people can get engaged and break off the engagement. They can post it on social media. A few of their friends will comment how terrible the guy was that broke it off. It was so much bigger and so much more significant in the first century. And it's in the middle of all that chaos that God has a plan. God's up to something. They can't see it. Mary doesn't realize it. Joseph doesn't know it. But it's about to happen because what happens next in the story actually changes everything and it changes everyone forever. The second part of verse 18 says this, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. In other words, before the marriage, vows were taken and completed, before the ceremony came and went, before there was a consummation of the marriage and intimacy in the marriage, Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So, so track with me here. Mary is preparing and planning for her wedding and God shows up and says, you should plan for a nursery. Talk about a change in plans. So Mary actually knows she's got to bring this to Joseph and, and, and when she sees Joseph the next time, all Joseph wants to do is talk about the floor plan of the home and the, the, car, the color of the carpet and Mary's just thinking, I've got to interrupt him. And finally she does, Joseph, I got, something, I got something I need to share with you. Now, if you put yourself in the place of Joseph, which by the way, I've said this before, I believe Joseph is the unsung hero of the Christmas narrative. I, I don't think Joseph gets near the attention that he well deserves. Because Joseph begins to realize and have to carry in this moment a tremendous amount of loss and a tremendous amount of grief. You know, these times we're living in today is a time of incredible uncertainty, incredible fear, incredible loss. Joseph is feeling all of that. He's bearing the weight of a a tremendous disappointment. Disappointment. And here's what I've found is that there is nothing that disrupts our stillness like disappointment interrupts our stillness. When we are disappointed, it rattles us in the interior of our life to the point that we actually lose our sense of center of who we are and who God is in the middle of it. And what I think is happening here is Joseph is feeling the weightiness of disappointment. And I don't think any of us would disagree with this statement. Life has its fair share of disappointments, doesn't it? We deal with them all of the time. But have you ever wondered why do I experience disappointment? Where does disappointment come from? Well, I think the answer is in the word itself. Disappointment occurs whenever what we thought we were promised or owed doesn't arrive. Whenever there is a broken appointment in our minds, somebody didn't come through. Somebody failed me. That thing I bought disappointed me. And whenever that happens, we feel that deep sense of an unfulfilled expectation. People do it, things do it. I I can hardly go a Thanksgiving without remembering a few years ago when we waited all day for out-of-town family to arrive with our cousins for our kids to play with. We were all so excited. The dinner table was set and they never showed up and never informed us they weren't coming. I remember feeling how disappointed, how deep that disappointment was when what I expected and anticipated never arrived. The thing about disappointments is this. I think they show us the level of our spiritual and emotional maturity. I think we need to ask all ourselves, how do I deal with disappointments? How do I deal with relational disappointments? How how do I deal with disappointments from my spouse? How do I deal with disappointments when my kids do not meet my expectations? How do I handle that by God's grace? Because here's what I believe. I don't think that disappointments shape our character. I think disappointments reveal our character. They actually are like a mirror that points inward and shows us what our character is like because how we respond to disappointments tells a lot about who we are. And I want you to notice how Joseph responds to his disappointment. Verse number 19 because Joseph her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace now don't miss this he's holding attention here the tension he's holding is to honor the law and do what he knows is in his right to do and the tension of caring deeply about someone that he doesn't want to hurt did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now there were really three options that Joseph had. The first option Joseph had was to expedite the marriage and actually just go forward with a quick wedding, unheard of in those days. We found out on Thanksgiving that my niece, one of my nieces got married and eloped here just recently. I mean, Joseph had a choice to do something crazy like that. He chose not to do that. The second option he had was to actually annul publicly the relationship, to divorce, because when you were betrothed, it was considered married. So Joseph had an opportunity here to take Mary before the law, and put law in front of grace. That was his choice. He could have erred on the side of legalism and law and said, I'm gonna take her, I'm gonna humiliate her, I'm gonna embarrass her. I want everybody to know what she did so that I can be seen as good in the eyes of others. She did it, not me. And the third option that he had was to trust God. He had an option to trust God and to move forward with the relationship even though he knew that so much hung in the balance. And I think about Joseph and I put myself in his place. I can't even imagine the level of confusion, anger, disappointment, disrespect that he must have been feeling. Talk about being triggered. He was being emotionally flooded, no doubt, by everything going on around him in the circumstances. And so I I, I appreciate what I watch Joseph do because I think it gives us a pathway for what we can do as well when we find ourselves being triggered. When we find ourselves in a place where all is not calm internally with us, How can we respond? What can we do? And I think we can do exactly what Joseph did. And there's three things I want you to look at with me today. Here's the first one When you are tempted to react, rest in God instead. When tempted to react, rest in God instead. Verse number 20. Matthew chapter one, verse 20. The first part. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. I do not believe that it was coincidental that God appeared to Joseph. The angel of the Lord came to him while he was resting. I don't think that's just simply a side note. I think what was happening is that Joseph was being placed into a position where he could receive God's love to help him when all was not calm. And the Bible here gives us insight into what was going on inside of Joseph. The Bible says that he was not reacting and thinking about what to do out of faith. He was thinking about what to do out of fear. And here's the thing about fear. Fear always causes us to react instead of to act in faith. Fear always causes us to react instead of to act out in faith. Now, ask yourself the question, what is it possibly that Joseph could be afraid of? What could he be fearing? Lots of things. Joseph was likely afraid of what everybody else would think or even worse, what everybody else might say. Joseph was no doubt concerned and fearful that he might make the wrong decision. He was afraid of disappointing or embarrassing, even humiliating his mom and his dad, his parents, his family by his decision. But I have a hunch, I have a suspicion that the greatest fear that was being caused inside of Joseph based on the narrative was that he didn't want to disappoint God. He did not want to displease God. He was a faithful man. The Bible says he was righteous. It says that he honored the law. He was upright and upstanding in the way that he lived. He was a man of true character. And what he wanted to do more than anything was to please God with what he was going to decide. And to get to that place, he had to move beyond his fear. He had to move into a place of rest with God so that he would not react, but he could act out of faith. The second thing I think Joseph does that's really remarkable, and I think it helps us, is this. When tempted to panic, gain perspective instead. When tempted to panic... Gain perspective instead. When all is not calm, what we really need to do is we need to get God's mind. Why? Because we do not think clearly. I can tell you when when all is not calm in my life, I do not think logically. My emotions kind of take over, my brain. Part of my brain hijacks everything I'm feeling and there are ways that I can respond or react that are not Christ-like. They're not God-honoring. And those who know me really well will tell you they've experienced it. And you know what? Those who know you really well have experienced it in you as well. Because we're all guilty of it, right? At times we can panic when we feel all is not calm instead of gaining perspective. Perspective. The end of verse 20 and verse 21, here's what it says. The angel of the Lord said, What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph did not hear that except through the mouth of the angel. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Listen, Joseph had made up his mind already. The problem was and the issue was that he needed God's mind. He needed God's perspective. He needed to see something eternal that was happening that he himself could not see. Because he's looking at life linear. He's not looking at life dynamic the way God does and he sees all of it simultaneously. He's simply looking out in front and going what's what's ahead is not good. I can't see a good finish in this for me. This is not gonna go well. Until the angel of the Lord comes and says, listen, God has a plan. God's doing something here. And guess what, Joseph, you get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. That perspective changed everything about Joseph. Changed everything about his response. And it brings us to the final thing that I think God would give us by way of how we can respond when all is not calm, how we can find stillness even here in what tends to be a busy, chaotic season. It's gonna be different this year for many ways, in many ways and for many reasons. But the reality is even in the midst of what seems slowed down, we can still be flooded internally. We can still miss God if we're not still. And here's the final thing. When tempted to trust your gut, trust God instead. When tempted to trust your gut, trust God instead. Now, I'm a gut leader. Uh, In other words, I instinctively feel things and respond to things. And through the years, I can tell you, it has served me well at times. But there are other times that I can look back on and I recognize that what I was feeling in my gut was really coming out of a false place and not really where God was wanting to meet me. This couple of weeks back, I did what I try to do annually. I did an assessment uh, that really is kind of like a state of your soul. Um... You know, and so when you think about your soul, the true you, the truest part of who you are, have you ever thought about taking time to do an inventory and an assessment on the state of your soul? You know, there are state of unions, there are state of organizations, but there's also a state that your soul has. There's a state your soul is in. And I took time just to do an inventory and hold it before God, and I was able to get in touch with some things inside of me that I was feeling a lot more sadness than I realized was there. Kind of backloaded in me, quite frankly. It it came out a little emotional, and I, I was surprised how sad I felt about things, losses. How I was grieving some things that I hadn't really grieved well yet that I had to bring to God. I was feeling some deep sense of anxiety about certain things, especially things that feel like no control issues for me. And yet I want so desperately to hold on to them and control them. And I felt like I had to release that to God. I remember in my journal that day, I actually wrote the statement that I feel like I'm doing more reacting these days than leading. And sometimes I think we can feel like we've been in this season of lots of pivoting, lots of changes, lots of decisions that many times are coming um, fast and furious. And we got to respond to them. And all of those things were putting me in a place where I was realizing that I can trust my gut, but if I trust my gut too much, I can miss God in my heart. And when we are tempted to trust our gut, what we need to learn to do is to trust God who lives and dwells in the deepest, truest, realest part of you. If you don't know and have ever thought about your soul, here's what I want you to know. Your soul is God's eternal idea of you. It is what's gonna live Forever. It's that part of you that is the true you. And it's the part of you that God so desperately wants to connect with and make a safe place for your soul to emerge to come out and to feel like it can express itself in the presence of God. That was a day for me to do that. It was a day for me to remind myself that even when I don't know the future, God has a plan and i can trust god and trust god's heart even when i can't see his hand moving in circumstances in my life and just think about this just think about this with with joseph i mean here's kind of the end of the story verses 22 and 23 All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Have you ever stopped to think before God was with us, God was with Joseph. He was the first us, he and Mary, they got to be present with him. Verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And then notice this. And he gave him the name Jesus. Because Joseph trusted God over his gut, he got to marry his sweetheart. Because he trusted God over his gut, he actually got an inside look at what God was doing for all eternity in our world. Because he trusted God over his God, he got to raise the son of God here on this earth. And have you ever thought about it? He was the one who was given the privilege, not Mary, he was the one given the privilege of naming the child. He said, you shall call him Jesus. That was given to Joseph, the honor He will save us from our sins. That promise back then is just as sure as it is today. And all is not well. You and I can find stillness in God because he is still saving us from our sins. He is still doing a work inside of us. And he can be trusted. So with that said, I wanna lead you in, a, in an exercise as we close this morning. Let me remind you of this anchor verse. Psalm 46, verse number 10. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to lay aside anything you're holding right now. If you're joining us from home, if, if you can just sit in, a, in an upright posture, what I'd like to do is I'd like to walk us through this verse in a time of us finding stillness before God here in this Advent season. And as we quiet our hearts, as we quiet ourselves in God's presence, let me just read that verse again five times. But I wanna read it in five different ways. And what I'd like you to do as you're hearing it read is I'd like you to think about the final part that I read. So, what I want to do is, I'm going to read the entire verse Be still and know that I am God. And what I want you to do as you sit in quietness and silence is, I'd like you to think about God. Think about God. Think about his love for you. Think about his nearness to you right now. And then we're we're going to read it in several different ways as we break down this verse. So, let's quiet our hearts before him, let's become still. In his presence, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. I am who I am says I am. Be still and know. Be still. Father, we're not living in a unique time. We can sometimes feel like we're the only generation that is going through what we've experienced in 2020. It's just not true. We need God to gain your perspective. We need God to find rest in your love. And we need to trust you, God, over our own intuition and instincts, which can sometimes lead us astray. Help us, Lord, throughout this Advent season that we'll take time to pause and ponder and pray. That we'll take time to find a place of being still in your presence, especially when all is not calm inside of us and we're feeling emotionally fragile or fragmented or flooded. May we find a place in your presence to become aware again that you are God, that you're near us, you're with us. You are Emmanuel, who is God with us. Thank you for the promise. And thank you for the courage and the obedience of Joseph to trust you when all was not well in his life. And how you met him, God, you can also meet us. So we thank you for it. We pray, Lord, that you will bless us as we journey together over these next number of weeks through this series, Still Christmas. We give thanks for for it in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.